0: My guest today is Dan Buckingham, who is the, the CEO at Attitude Pictures and the Chair of the Attitude Trust. Uh, he is basically an, an icon of the, the disabilities sector, uh, particularly as it pertains to media uh, started started with attitude as a researcher and reporter and has worked his way up and, and worked in basically every attitude of the business he also has a sort of strong relationships out into the sector he 's an executive of of Sparta the screen production uh, and development agency and you know I think he he basically is a is a very powerful and articulate member of the disabled community and particularly um, as it relates to the media so w- what we talked about today is the the Attitude Awards which are on December 18th I think screening on December 18th obviously not uh, IRL this year sadly but also about uh, m- at making Attitude which is now I think 13 years in as a as a docuseries that runs 30 weeks plus a year on on TVNZ and has a real you know it, it it's it's a very, very powerful look into the the lives, achievements, struggles of of the disabled community, but it does it in a way, and and Dan speaks to this about encouraging people who are aren't disabled in some respects to see disabled people differently, and for disabled people to see their lives truly reflected on screen. So we we talk about that and and about the challenges of. Representation for for disabled people more broadly. There, there was a very powerful speech made recently uh, at Edinburgh in the UK about, which called uh, disability the forgotten diversity. And and Dan speaks to that and talks about the extent to which that's true here, which it is, but but that it's potentially not as true here as that it is in the in the UK where that speech was made. He also talks about, and this is something I think is is super. Exciting is that Attitude has a new production coming next year, which is in prime time. The Attitude normally screens Sunday mornings uh, and has a you know, correspondingly somewhat limited audience there, though that has a much larger one online uh, in many respects. But Down for Love is is a show about it's a, it's a kind of a quasi reality TV part, or, or not not reality TV, m- perhaps more of an observational docu series. Uh, if you'll get into the weeds of of the description but it's it's airing at 8:30 p.m. on TVNZ 2 and it is made by attitude so it it comes from the sector and it has a deep involvement and engagement with uh, the down syndrome community so that that feels like it has the potential to be quite a landmark series for us coming in May 2022 in general dan is just a a very inspiring and uh just just very very smart and and considered uh, commentator on this area it 's been a It was a real pleasure to have him on the show and I hope you enjoy it just before we get into it. I want to uh, thank Vodafone for their continued support of the fold. The spin-off is right now. This is being recorded through Vodafone's world-class network technology. We absolutely would fall apart without it. So I suggest you go to Vodafone.co.nz and look into that. This is Dan Buckingham, CEO of Attitude Pictures on The Fold. Tanakwe Dan and uh, welcome to The Fold. Kia ora Duncan. That's fantastic to be
1: here. Thanks
0: for thanks for having me along. No, no, I'm I'm really really uh, excited to to have you on board. I think what we're going to discuss today is, is is super important. I wonder if you could start by just telling me about uh, Attitude Pictures and its relationship to the Attitude Trust and and what the sort of the mission of the work you do is.
1: Yeah, sure. I think that is a great place to start because obviously we're here, you know, pushing the Attitude Awards, which have been a bit of a non-event, but it is an event this year. You know, we're really Uh, aiming for a big show to take over their live event. Uh, But just to give a bit of background, Attitude Pictures is a TV production company that that, uh, has a variety of shows, but our flagship really is the Attitude Series, which is a show about people with disabilities, TVNZ1, funded by NZ On Air. And then we have the Attitude Trust, which is a charitable trust which hosts the Attitude Awards, which is about celebrating success and achievement in the disability sector. And then uh, the two come together with uh, broadcasting the event. And, and it's one of those scenarios where it's two entities are greater than the sum of their parts where we have a an event uh, that's hosted and, and the broadcast that feeds on it. And, and we have this this what has become a very massive event in the disability sector. Um, and I think, you know, to, to dive into it a bit for for a few reasons, I think it, it is a really a great success. Um, a couple of things that we've always tried to do along the way. One is with disability, many things fall into an add-on or a nice to have. And the example I always use is going to a bar. It may be accessible, but you've got to go through the back and pass wheelie bins through the kitchen to get in there. You know, it's a bit of an afterthought how people with disabilities are going to access this environment. Uh, the Attitude Wards is about everyone comes in the front door, it's grand, it's front and center, it's all the red, all the red carpet, black tie trimmings, televised event. Um, but we don't just pitch it to the disability sector, it's about Getting the corporate crowd and turning heads to the possibility of disability. Um, so that is the attitude awards, the Attitude trust, the attitude pictures. We we have branding issues. Too many attitudes in there.
0: Um, <laughs> too much attitude. That sort of makes sense. No, no, it, it totally does. I mean, so since you've been involved with uh, attitude in all its guises, have you have you sensed a change in in the way that uh, you know that, that the corporate sector or, or the all of the other different kind of sectors that you interact with? Uh, perceives of and and engages with the disabled community? Totally.
1: I think uh, I'm a big fan and big believer in social change is iterative and takes time, and we are seeing that in the 20 or so years I've had a disability and and since I've been working with Attitude Pictures since uh, 2008. Um, And we see that with the media very much. We're moving to a new age of, uh, I guess, representation, uh, authenticity, and with Attitude Pictures, we've come along that journey. I think we're almost like a, a microchism of how that journey's unfolded. When we got, when Robin Scott Vinson got the contract in 2005, uh, it was very much contestable funding. And I was on the periphery and I heard about it. Uh, and I remember hearing there was a lot of backlash from people in the sector not knowing Robin had a connection to disability through her son that she didn't really shout about. Um, but there was people saying, and i still hear it. still I'm still here at that to, to this day, that, that attitude should be hard-hitting and and coming in with the, you know, what the issues of the day are. And I was like, yeah, that would be fantastic for the seven or eight people who watched it or already, you know, the choir that we're preaching to. What attitude is about is telling good stories about people with disabilities that people will be intrigued by and in a a space where they find to be curious about disability. And over that journey, they get to know a bit um, that when they come and meet someone in real life, they have a – suddenly they have a – a starting point to start with, so that's what we've done over so many years. And NZ On Air has given us the ability to do to tell a lot of stories to help change perceptions over a long period of time. So taking that wider to society, I think it is similar as people get um, into positions of being opinion leaders and whether it's corporate media, whatever. Having even even having people uh, colleagues that have a disability, that is how we get social change and people being more comfortable and and. And disability moving forward to a more inclusive
0: society. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting what you say about that that sort of idea of the the hard hitting kind of critical style of of coverage versus the um, the sort of uh, you know a, a sense of what different lives and achievements and so on. I, you know, ultimately, it feels like both people want. A similar end but the tactics uh, to achieve that end end are quite different and that feels like a very present conversation so it's interesting to hear that there's been quite a deliberate sense of what you want is for to change what you know the the non-disabled majority sees when they when they see or, or engage with a, a a person with disability is that fair to say
1: it is fair to say and i think it's it's relevant to time and location i think in new zealand we're in a relatively good place, and I think, uh, you know, um, Kate, who were on email chats with, sent through uh, Jack Thorne's latest speech uh, as, a, as an example, and I think it shows where the UK is at compared to New Zealand. Jack Thorne came up with a very hard-hitting speech about representation of disability in the media, and I think it it's kind of shows where the UK is at, and there needs to be some changes over there. I don't think that quite lines up with where New Zealand is at. I think um, if we, if we look at disability generally, it's been a late coming to the, to the rights movement. It was sort of piggybacked off civil rights, gender movement and disability rights really didn't come into its own until the 80s. Uh, but when it did come in, it came in before the activism. There was people, you know, literally fighting in the streets. You know, it was it was big. Um, but it, it's been so recent and I feel like that hangover is still there that people really came in and had to fight and some people are still in that era of needing to hit people over the head when they get it wrong. Uh, but I think that it's also... Um, it doesn't move things forward because people become afraid to do anything for fear of getting it wrong uh, but in New Zealand I think we're we're very much in a phase of moving through that and more of a place of moving things forward embracing conversation letting people whether they say be intrigued by disability because it is fascinating it is intriguing um, and that's the place I really want to get to I think is you know it's not 100% there but that's what we're moving to.
0: Yeah, having said that, it, it does feel like, you know, and, and there's that, that powerful phrase that Jack used of of the, the forgo- forgotten diversity, that there is on some level a kind of, hierarchy isn't the right word, but there are, because there are so many different communities within New Zealand, that that sometimes the disabled community, which is a very big one, which, which has a, a particular set of, of challenges or, or, you know, policy, social responses required to it, that does not, get necessarily the, the same um, proportion of, of media coverage uh, that, it, that it might warrant. Would you agree with that?
1: Yes. I think uh, you've, you've hit the nail there with the hierarchy, I think. And, and you've, I've been uh, with corporates when we go and look at the sponsorship for the Attitude Award and they pull out their diversity and inclusion folder and they flip through it at the back There's a single bit of paper. You know, there's so much work still to be done with ethnicity, with gender and with disabilities like this for God a little piece at the back. So, yeah, very much still to be done there, I think. Um, and then when we, if we talk specifically about representation, I think there's um, part of the issue there, though, is, um, and again, going referencing Jack Thorne's speech, is, yes, we want to see more disability on screen. We want to see more people with disabilities in the media. Um, and I think it's also difficult with disability because if you put a character on screen and they have a disability, it's almost like it's, it's very much there and there needs to be, almost needs to be a reason for it. It needs to be talked about. Otherwise, it's kind of like this big thing that you're not addressing that is on screen. Um, and then another part of that is, while I say that, as straight away, I think someone in a wheelchair, and I think that's part of the thing around disability as well, It's such a diverse, broad, often fragmented sector of society um, that has been distilled down to this iconography of the wheelchair. Um, so what is disability and what are we looking for on screen? Is it someone who's blind? Is it someone in a wheelchair is it... Um, you know, there's so many disabilities out there that are hidden disabilities that aren't so visible. You know, how do you represent that? And so that's, I guess, uh, in a short, short answer, you're right. And then the longer answer is it's it's complicated and, and there's many uh, variables in the mix there.
0: Do you, I mean, because ultimately in some ways the the dream scenario would be for you to have uh, a variety of disabled characters on screen and in, in both, uh, you know, factual and scripted productions, and it, on some level to be unremarkable and, and not to be a pivotal part of the the arc in the way that you know, uh, um, you know, th- which is is a sort of a, a right given to, to 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 most other kind of forms of representation, or or is, is the aspirant right. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think there's be a tipping point in the summary, right, where there's going to be a lot of people forging the way into it as just normal and, and not sticking out that someone has a disability. And I think um, ideally it will be, you know, drama. That's where we'll see people with disabilities. And that's, that will be, I think, a big shift uh, that we'll see in our lifetime. Uh, but I think it will probably lead more by doco formats and news and current affairs. I think it will be a magical place to see visibly people with disability on screen and have that reflected back to those of us living with disability.
0: So let's talk then about about the show attitude, which it's in a the, the the time slot it's in is is in a kind of a traditional sort of you know and it sits alongside Q and A. It's in that that ad free slot, um, that ad free sort of segment of a of a Sunday morning, and yet the w- w- which t- has historically been seen as as a sort of a a lower a place for for lower ratings and yet the the response to uh your work online glo- you know in a, even in a global context is is pretty huge and you know it feels like even from from TVNZ's perspective notwithstanding the slot the the the, the importance of attitude and what it brings has risen in recent years and and yeah, you know, down for love, which we'll talk about shortly. I think is a, that that feels like it has the potential to be a bit of a, a milestone. Do you want to talk about your relationship with TVNZ and and I guess through them to, to New Zealand on air?
1: Yes, uh, very. This, you know very great topics to cover. A lot of love with love TVNZ and Z New on air. Um, I think to start with a time slot. So we've been, I guess, buried on Sunday mornings. One way to put it for a long time, uh, but also we see the value in being there, and the value is in. We are a long-running show with a lot of episodes a year, 30, used to be 40, we're down to 30 episodes a year now. Um, and a lot of people say, you know, we get a lot of great feedback and it's very nice to hear saying we should be in a primetime slot and everyone should see this. I think we value that we have a lot of autonomy to create what we want to create. And the show has evolved over many years to be um, first-person, character-driven content. And we, you know, in this world where you know, it's always been this way, but more than ever, people are chasing the numbers. We almost get this sort of uh, complimentary path to to have a bit of freedom, create what we want, and not have the pressures and the scrutiny that we would in prime time. I think it would be a very different show, a bit more commercially driven if we did move. Um, And to talk about, I think, TVNZ, I think there's. um, it it can be easy to say that commissioners are are say, so afraid to take a punt or try something different and put something different on their screens. But I think it's important to know that these are these are people, when you sit down and talk to them, they're creative people like us. They're people who have drive and vision and they have the constraints of shareholders, uh, audience, pressures of commercial market, all that sort of stuff. So while they may want to do something that's different and, and make a difference, they also need to... Um, you know, there's the risk aversion and they need to ensure there's audiences. And the watershed moment for me was being in the AIDC a few years ago and I was listening to a, an exec who was very upfront and very um, forthcoming with a Q&A session. Uh, I believe he was with 10, Network 10, and he was talking about Bondi Vets and he was saying, there's no one from Bondi on Bondi Vets anymore. The show's not in Bondi. <laughs> But they still call it that because people look at a schedule and they want to know what they're watching, they want to feel comfortable. And I think this is getting to the point of all this sort of preamble is where we're going to see a big shift now is that's not the same for digital. Linear, there are so many constraints. It is still very much the big uh, leader in terms of commercial revenue and commissioners are constrained and they're doing what they can, but they also have to bend to all these other pressures. If you look at our digital audience, we've had uh, we've got one of our videos over 3 million, uh, four over 2 million. There's the long tail digital there, and there's audiences seeking out their content. It's a very different way of viewing. Uh, people are drawn in. They sit with it. They engage more. Um, so I think as we – with you know the proliferation of streamers that's already here, that is where we're going to see people take more, um, more punts on different content because you have to stand out. You have to put your hand up in a very crowded room. Uh, and that's where there's, there's an opportunity with things like disability and content featuring people with disabilities because it is different and it's something that people will seek out as a point of difference.
0: One thing which I've had correspondence from 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 listeners in the past is is about the level of accessibility that exists with, with, with Linear and whether TVNZ is, and and just all of the kind of mainstream networks are doing enough with, with the likes of closed captioning and so on to make... These shows as accessible as possible to the very communities they're trying to reach. I'm, I'm sure that attitude is different there, but do you feel like you have a role? I mean, a. a what's the sort of st- state of of that for for that for the communities that you speak to? And b. Do you feel have like you as as attitude have a, a role to play in sort of advocating for a greater level access of accessibility for that kind of work?
1: Um, short answer: Yes, I think. Um, so if we look at if we take a big Step back and, and look at disability on screen. There's kind of the big, big factors are, you know, representation in the industry on screen and off screen uh, content about disability, and then access to content. Um, access, actually, you know, uh, making content physical access, but also access about view to be able to consume. And the two big ones there are audio descriptions and captioning. Um, short answer is it could be better. Broadcasters could be doing it better, especially with audio descriptions. It's hard to find. Not many people know about it. And it is a fantastic way to enhance viewing whether you're disabled or not. Uh, The great thing is, again, with streamers, it is easy. You know, Attitude Live is our platform and as a production company working on low budgets, we've managed to create a platform that has audio descriptions and captioning. Um, What I'll say about both for those that haven't spent time watching is, you know, it's universal design. It's whether you have a disability for a long term or short term or English as a second language, or you just want to have it on because you're in a household that's busy, these are things that enhance viewing and they, you know, they make a massive difference for a small percentage of the population, but they're across the board, a good thing to have. Um, And then the other thing that you can add, there is, you know, it's it's one of those things that just keeps evolving is uh, sign language overlays. There are so many different accessible formats that are available now. And my hope is with TVNZ coming in with their big updates, uh, Discovery coming in with their... Big updates for three uh, with three now that we're going to see this as just part and parcel of what an online delivery is.
0: Thank you for that, Dan. We'll we'll just take a little break and come back with more from Dan Buckingham from Attitude. All right, I think now it would be a really good time to talk about uh, Down for Love, which uh, you know is, is a new show coming to primetime uh, in twenty twenty two. Do you want to? Let us let let us know what what what's what's coming there and, and what why you're you're excited about it as as a production company.
1: Super excited about Down for Love. So in a nutshell, it is people who live with Down syndrome looking for a relationship, looking for love. Um and excited for so many reasons, but you know, of course that it is prime time. It's, we've got an 8:30 p.m. time slot on TVNZ2. Uh we were set to go out in October just with a three-parter. Uh, but we're currently with NZ On Air for an extension, so hopefully we're going to see a five-parter in May next year. And part of the hold was um, TVNZ fell in love with it. I feel like it was, you know, we talked earlier about um, almost with the constraints of linear, you know, it's, it's hard to take a punt, and I feel like they did take a punt with the show and with us uh, having a crack at prime time. And now that I've seen the offlines, they love it, and they want to hold it and showcase it in the new year and hopefully with an extension. Um so that's all fantastic as a, as a media producer. But I think as a person with disability, what I love about it is we are showing people with Down syndrome, a variety of people to show that, you know, for those who aren't uh, associated or have a connection with anyone who lives with Down syndrome, it may be just a sort of uh, homogenous group of people um, that they have whatever expectation, low or high about them. This shows a broad range of people and that they are like all of us, you know, battling this uh, navigating this uh, way through life trying to find a relationship um i think it's brilliant because we took a lot of the learnings we've you know had over 15 whatever years with attitude um around making sure that people with disabilities are leading the way this is a very much in the sense i show nothing about us without us it is authenticity as people with disabilities leading the story so these people who live with down syndrome some of them are already in, in relationships Others are. Having a partner for the first time and navigating that, it is uh, very much led by those people and letting them tell them their, tell their own stories. And we also partner with the New Zealand Down Syndrome Association.
0: I mean, it must be a relief on some level to to be a production company with such a long, you know, tenure and, and very much uh, run run by uh, people from the disabled community to to be the ones to make this. I think you know, internationally there has been a lot of. Actually, very very acclaimed and successful content in a in a broadly similar vein. But do, you know, do, does the fact that you're getting to, to make something which is you know a bridge between your kind of core historic work and, and reality TV, the fact that it's you and not another production company must must be a relief and, and quite exciting to, to see to see where these kind of kinds of productions can go, how long they can run, and, and how much impact they can have.
1: Yeah, I think with attitude, it's very much uh it's uh it's phenomenal how long we've been able to keep going with that series. And part of it is we keep evolving the show, we keep keeping it fresh, and we keep delivering as well with that digital offering attitude towards all those sort of things that go down well politically. But um for down for love, it is it is a really good feeling, and it is because we have very much led with disability. And I think you know, there's many underrepresented audiences, but disability is one that is I just feels like it feels wrong when it's not people with disability leading and being part of it, and I think uh, it's probably because of that historical context where, for so long, people with disabilities have been talked about or for, and not being able to lead. And we see that in the in the political environment with the new Ministry of uh, Disabled People coming to the fore. That's going to be in place next year. That is a long, long uh, build up to get to that. Where again, we've been people with disabilities have been part of the health. Uh, system or part of the Ministry of Social Development, put in this um, medicalised model um, to pull out of that, to see us as people who are yeah. autonomous, leading our own way, forging our own path, that is what we need to see. I think it's, that is one of those points where I get to where you know, I, I love working with people moving forward but it's just the bug stops when there is content that is not created without that authenticity behind it.
0: Let's talk about the Ministry for, for Disabled People's how How much sort of uh visibility over that um arising did you have and and what do you, how would you characterize the the community's kind of hopes for how that might take some of the the issues which you have been foregrounding and and the opportunities you've been foregrounding through through attitude for many years now and and make them more sort of palpable throughout all of government and and, and through that society mm.
1: There's a massive announcements just over two weeks ago now and um just for people who went across it, we we actually had the privilege of being able to host the live stream with Minister Cipolloni and Minister Little to announce it. Uh, for me, it was coming in relatively cold. Insofar as I've always tried to live my life as a person with a disability, uh, advocating for others just by leading a good and full life. So I don't uh, get down in the political side of things too much, uh, for you know many reasons. But mainly as sports, the um, hell out of me, and, and you know, I just want to you know. I've, I love playing sport for a lot of years. I love being in the role that I am with the work I do. I love having a wife and daughter. You know, those are the things that fill me and I just feel like it may seem like a lazy option, but by living a life, seeing what I want to do and, and setting high standards for myself, I hope that that is forging a path for other people. But many people fought very hard for these announcements that came the other day that were a new ministry for disabled people. Um, the rollout of enabling good lives, which is a new approach to disability support systems, which is about people leading their own support uh, and then also the announcement about accessibility legislation which is not just a physical environment it's about digital information across the board and then a new governance board led by people with disabilities to overseas, oversee these changes. One of the things that I you know, had the privilege of seeing when we were doing that live stream was we created an environment where you push out whoever was speaking at the moment where it was Minister Cipollone or one of the uh, people who live with disability on the panel but on the back uh, end I could see all the faces and when Minister Cipollone announced, you know, um, specifically their they and good lives, I got to see the faces of people who have been working on this for over a decade. And just they knew the announcement was coming, but still to see the uh, joy, the relief on their faces, it was just this, you know, amazing moment. So I think uh, we can't take lightly how phenomenal and, and massive that change is going to be.
0: You know, you, we were talking before we, we started recording about the the impact of the lockdown on on the production of Attitude Live, and, and you're absolutely not immune to, to the the very challenging nature of it. But have there been sort of elements of the the sort of hybrid um, working environment that have potentially? opened up the eyes of society to to the extent to which we rely on physical proximity as a a proxy for for work have there been gains made for the community or or are there lessons there do you think out of the the sort of lockdowns and and the the changing ways that we've all worked together and been mediated with technology and so on that that um, feel relevant to you?
1: Um, Yeah, there are. I think, um, yeah, so working from home, uh, as we all know, comes with pros and cons. Uh, I'm here at home with my wife and daughter, which is phenomenal, having a toddler running around and getting to spend time with her. And of course, it comes with challenges. uh, As with all uh, working environments, the the overlay of comms is is significant with uh, the amount of Zoom calls we all seem to be on these days and phone calls. After the first lockdown, I really felt like uh, I was looking forward to getting back to the office just because of the amount of information that is shared when you're in a shared collaborative environment. And I felt like we can move things forward so quickly. But I think also over the time, over this massive lockdown we've been in now, I've valued um, the balance of work and life. And when you put good parameters around it, when you make sure people do switch off, when you check in on their mental health, then it can work really well. I think it's one that's we're still facing a brave new world of how it works. And that switch off is a big one, I think, because you see people answering emails at weird, ridiculous times. But the big pro, the big opening up is when we have a, physical environment that is is not accessible at all, suddenly this does open up a world where it is fine to work from home, it is fine to not drop uh, an hour navigating public transport when you can't uh, physically you know, operate your own vehicle or whatever other barrier or challenge you're facing in, the, in a day. So I think on many levels COVID has um, become almost cliche to say that it's accelerated the future, um, but none more so than for the disability community to be able to access uh, the environment
0: Finally, let's talk about the Attitude Awards. Obviously, you've been unable to to have an IRL event this year, but do you want to talk about what they've sort of historically meant for the community and and maybe pick a couple of stories of whether it's you know, people who've been sort of highlighted or, you know, things that have happened as a consequence of the awards that show their power? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so I guess it probably starts with uh, where the Attitude Awards came from and we've carried that on throughout. It was born out of where we're doing some programs at the time around transition, as in people with disabilities transitioning from school, university to employment. And what we've come, we we, we come to a place where people are so supported through the... Uh, Education system, they were feeling empowered, and it was like almost like this new generation of people with disabilities looking forward to going out and hitting the world, uh, feet on the ground, running, and then hit by these barriers of a workforce that weren't ready for them. And we just we just saw it time and time again through the stories we were telling. So there was the reason for us starting the Attitude Awards is we wanted to showcase the possibility of people with disabilities and what they can achieve to the corporate crowd. And there was, well, I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the awards is very much about creating a grand event because we want people to be able to access something that's not just a nice little add-on about disability. It's disability in the grandest sense with all the trimmings. It's also about putting us in an environment where we could attract the corporate crowd, where we could get people who have no connection to disability say so that's only the possibility. And that plays through to our sponsors as well. We have ACC as a major sponsor who are connected to disability, but we have the likes of Barford and Thompson who have nothing to do with them. And we approached them, we sold it to them, and they were on board and have stayed with us. So that's one of the underlying themes is trying to shift that employment set. And we've seen that with the employer awards and fantastic organizations coming through. But if you talk about stories where I see the value in the awards, I think across the board, we're generally celebrating people who are either unsung heroes or just don't get an opportunity to be celebrated. And you see it in the way they receive the award of first sport. I've been to many uh, like the rugby awards, etc. Hybrid awards. And it's almost like, you know, part and parcel, you get a cut-and-dry speech, thank the ref, all that sort of stuff. But these people, you know, there's tears on stage. Every year there's tears in the audience and tears on stage. One story that sticks out for me is a, is a prime example of what the Attitude Awards about uh, are about was uh, Deborah Lampshire, who grew up with um, um, mental health issues, uh, schizophrenia, specifically bipolar. Um, so, so she grew up actually in uh, the age of institutions and spent a lot of time in institutions when she was younger. Through her work in the mental health sector, we celebrated her in 2016, 17, I believe it was. And she went on to become the Supreme Winner, gave a fantastic speech for her category. And when she got up for the Supreme category, she's like, I've used all my best words, I've got nothing else. But I will say I've been called many things in my life, but never a winner. And that was just for me. That was just now that, you know, it's to be recognized for the work she's done and all she's gone through.
0: That's gorgeous. Um, well, I'm sorry that you can't have the MyRL this year, but they sound like uh, you know, so- something that, that in any context is, is going to be incredibly powerful, as is all the work you do. So thank you so much for coming on The Fold today and, and uh, telling your stories, Dan.
1: Uh, thank you. Um, you know, big uh, recent fan of The Fold, but loving it very much.
0: Love your critique and take on the media. It's fantastic. Thank you. Kia ora e te here. Podcast manager at The Spin-Off.